light of the communion this morning, I'd like to preach from one verse. It is 1 Corinthians 11:26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let me say it again. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I remember listening to a teacher at a conference some years ago get really animated about, really animated, <laughs> about the sacraments of the church. And, and he, he was coming from a Presbyterian viewpoint, and I mean he was raising his voice about how important the Lord's Supper is and that Presbyterians don't receive it enough. And you know, Presbyterianism has, as a tradition, quarterly communion. You only get to take communion four times a year. So that if you miss communion, that's like a half a year without communion. And I was saying, preach it, brother. I appreciate that. I agree with you. It's important. Then he went into all these details about why the Lord's Supper was important to us spiritually and important to the church spiritually. And one of the things that he said, he says it's important... Because the, the Lord's Supper is intimacy with Christ for His church. You want to be with Jesus in a way that He has set aside time and His focus and His grace on you, then you want to take Holy Communion. And so he started talking about what this intimacy looked like. And he says it's kind of like when you get invited over to someone's house for dinner... He says there's different, there's different rooms in the house that have different levels of closeness and intimacy between people, uh, just public rooms in the house. He said, for instance, when you go into somebody's house, you ring the doorbell. And what room are you in when you ring the doorbell? Well, a lot of people have what you might call a foyer or a little welcome area. That's not a place of great intimacy. What do you do in the foyer? You just say hello. You say, welcome. I mean, maybe there's a little small talk. There's not even any chairs to sit in in the foyer. Because it's not designed to be face-to-face and begin to get to know one another better. He said, that's kind of like when you come into worship and the call to worship. It's kind of like being in the foyer. Come on in. You know, it's important, but there's a lot of things that are going to get deeper and more intimate once you come on inside. So you go into this person's house. Where do they take you next? Well, they take you. Some people in their house have what you might call a great room. Some people have, or maybe they call it the den. Uh, some people still have living rooms and dens, but they generally take you to the den. Now, what do you do in the den? You actually sit down in the den. The, the den has chairs. Uh, you, you might be a little further away from one another, but in the den, you're, you're, you're now, now you're talking about the weather and... Uh, maybe you're talking about uh, your football team or whatever, and, and maybe ladies are talking about what's going on, their kids are in, involved in. But in the den, you kind of move from some smaller talk to something more substantial. I mean, the, the conversation begins to develop because you've got more time than in the foyer. And this guy said, well, this is kind of like in a worship service. You come in for a time of praise of God, and then you move into the sermon, and, and there is more depth and more understanding, and more application to our lives. And so that's much deeper than the foyer. But then, 
where are you led in that person's house? You are led to the dining room. Or some people don't have dining rooms, so you're led to the kitchen, you know, the kitchen table. This is the most intimate public space in our homes. Because now we're not just sitting kind of across the room from one another on furniture talking about the weather and moving into something deeper and more meaningful. We've had that conversation. It has gotten deeper. Now we're literally at a smaller space, a table. We are literally face-to-face and and right up next to one another, side-to-side, and now we are sharing stories. Now we're talking about things that are meaningful to us. Now there is a growing sense of intimacy. And he says, you know, that's more what the communion is like with Christ. Now, not everybody that comes to your house makes it past the foyer, right? A salesman comes to your house. You know, maybe he or she gets invited in and you you listen to what they have to say. And maybe you buy something, maybe you don't. But you're glad there's not a chair there. And you say, hey, thank you very much. You turn them right around. Thank you very much. Um, hugs and kisses, you know, bye. And uh, But then there are people that make it past the foyer, but they never make it past the, the den. Well, then come on in, sit down, let's talk, you know. And so you kind of come in there and, and you talk. Um, but the dining room means something different than the den. The dining room means by design we're going to spend a long time together. Now... If we were Europeans, that would equal three to four hours. Those people know how to do dining room. And you go to a restaurant in Europe, literally the owner is offended if you don't stay at least two hours. Why? He wants you to enjoy the food, but more than that, there's a rich tradition of fellowship, of conversation, of intimacy around the table. Uh, There's just more intimacy, and and we in the South know this. I mean, think about most of the celebrations, most of the important moments in your life. Somewhere, if you're from the South, there's food involved in that, right? Yeah, so we kind of get that. But even more so in ancient Middle Eastern culture, more so than modern European culture, that to eat together, to sit down at table fellowship with someone was to say something very publicly about that person. It was to say, this is my friend. This is someone that I want to spend a lot of time with. This is someone that I want to invest in. And we say, well, what's the big deal? It's just eating together. No, no. That's the sign of relational intimacy in the ancient Middle East. Now do you understand why the Pharisees went absolutely berserk when they said, do you see what Jesus is doing? He is, you know what I'm about to say? He is eating with tax collectors and sinners. Whoa! He's having intimate conversation. He's saying they are my friends, you see. There's greater intimacy in eating together, and that's what the Lord's Supper is like. The risen Christ wants to eat with you today. That's significant. 
For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And what I'd like to do is kind of move from past to present to future. And I'd like to look at this word where it says, For as often as you eat and drink. For whenever you eat and drink. And the idea here uh, isn't just that when it happens you are to do this. The idea here is that it ought to happen a lot. That God's people need to spend this time with Jesus around the table. Um, Jesus knew and gave us this supper because He knew that in a fallen and fast-paced world, we would a lot of times not slow down and just spend time with Him. He knew that we needed to come out from out of the cold and our busyness and our lack of focus into a very intimate situation where we could focus on His love and He could be with us. And that's what He wants to do with, with the Lord's Supper. What Jesus is saying to us this morning is, is I, I, I'm bring, I want you to come past the foyer. And we would have a sense that we would kind of live a foyer kind of life spiritually without the Lord's Supper. This is very important for our spiritual life. I want you to come past the foyer. I want you to come past the, the, the den. And I want you to come all the way back here and dine with me. It's called communion. You know why it's called communion? Now, you know, Presbyterians don't really call this communion. No, we call it. We typically call it, and we do, but we typically call it the Lord's Supper. Because it's not the Passover. It's Jesus' Supper, the Lord's Supper. We'll get to that in a moment. But a lot of traditions call it communion. And that comes from one chapter before our text in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, where it says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not the communion with the body of Christ? And that word communion literally means to participate. It means connection. It means relationship. This that we're doing, is it not intimacy through the bread and through the, the, the cup with Christ? And what Christ is saying to you this morning and to me is, hey, frazzled modern believer, wouldn't you like to come into the dining room with me? And unhurriedly, which I love communion at Highlands. If, you, if you're a visitor here this morning, this is not your, like your average Presbyterian church because we're going to spend like 20 minutes in an unhurried, beautiful supper of grace. Don't you want to come out of your frazzled, hurried, packed lives to communion with Christ? Wouldn't you like to pour your heart out to him today and he's here wouldn't you like to be able to confess your sins to him and he's not only here but he forgives based on the cross wouldn't you like to thank him for who he is what he's done different things that he's done wouldn't you like to just have some time personally with jesus that's what he's wanting you to do this morning the uh the westminster confession uh, shorter Catechism in question 75 talks about what is the Lord's Supper. And the answer, a part of it is this, that worthy receivers, listen to these words, actually, really, and indeed spiritually, 
receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of His death. You see, this isn't just remembering that long, long time ago Jesus died on a cross for us. No, we get to feed on Him today. God wants to give you something today because of the cross. He wants to meet a need in your life spiritually because of the cross. I mean in real time, the risen Christ is here in His church. The risen Christ is saying, come and sit down and dine with me. Let us be together. And we need this intimate supper and we need it often. But you know, it's not just in this passage the invitation for intimacy with Christ. It is also about the meaning of the supper. And we'll read the whole text uh, as we set apart the elements in a little bit. But what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? It's not a trick question. It's not hard. The meaning of the Lord's Supper is the death of Jesus for us. And we, we see this in the text where it says, For as often as you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Now we need to talk about the Passover, the original Passover meal. Because you are aware that, you know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem to die, it was the beginning of the Passover. You may be aware that, that Jesus said, I want you to, to some of us, go ahead and, and, and rent a, a space for us to enjoy the Passover meal together. Go buy all the things that are needed to have the Passover. And so in the upper room on that Monday, Thursday, Jesus and his disciples weren't doing the Lord's Supper, were they? They were having the Passover meal. And Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, who, would, who they would recognize as their Savior soon enough, Jesus was leading in the Passover just like He always did. And so Jesus gets to this place in the Passover. Do you know the Passover, like when Egypt was in, uh, when, when the children of Israel were in 400 years of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and God by His mighty power brought them out? Why is it called the Passover? Well, it has to do with the fact that when Pharaoh, God's representative, excuse me, Moses, uh, God's representative to Pharaoh, the, the head of the greatest superpower on earth, when Moses said, let my people, the Lord said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, no. Who are you? I represent the Lord. Pharaoh said no ten times. And one of the reasons was to display the mighty and awesome power of God ten times and to show the glory of God in on planet earth to the greatest power that God is greater and God is more powerful. And the last plague, the ten plagues, was the one where Pharaoh said, Namas, get out of here. Can we help you? Have our gold and our jewelry. Have our stuff as well. And what was that last plague? Can you remember? It was the, it was the killing of the firstborn of Egypt. And everybody's first born died that night and the death angel would come would come through and if you didn't have blood painted over your door now that blood was very specifically the sacrifice of a lamb on behalf of the the jewish people who would be inside that house that blood was painted over the door and when the death angel would come the death angel would see the blood and, are you ready for this? Pass over the house. 
no judgment on the house. So Jesus is in the middle of this Passover meal. You with me? And he says, this is the bread of affliction. When, 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 when the, the children of Israel and Egypt, but that's not what he said, is it? He took the bread and he said these radical words. And we've never celebrated the Passover since. Except for just like a historic kind of Seder thing. This is my body, he said, given for you. I am the Paschal Lamb. This is how God passes over you and God's judgment does not visit you. This cup, this is my blood that is shed for you. This is the Lord's Supper now. It's not about Egypt. It's about us. It's very personal. What we remember in the Lord's Supper is that Christ came in this world and literally died on a cross for us and shed His blood for us. The great reformer John Calvin called the Lord's Supper the Word made visible. The truth, the Gospel, the Word made visible. You see, Jesus knew that we needed to more than just remember. If you took away this table... I could come down here without this table, couldn't I? And I could say, you know what? Let's just have a, a silent, a moment of silence for Jesus. Let's just remember Jesus. Now, now the, the Lord's Supper, the new Passover, Jesus knew that we needed to hold it and smell it and taste it. Why? Because if we could hold it and taste it and eat it and drink it, then we would never, ever forget that God actually became a man and He was actually sacrificed as the Lamb of God in our place. He is the Lamb of God, we say, that takes away the sins of the world. He actually died and through the blood of Jesus, God passes over us in judgment. Let me ask you this. Don't you want this? Don't you want to come all the way past the foyer into this sacrificial love and this remembrance and, and this holding and this touching and this tasting of this intimacy that is for us through the cross. Don't you want the cross to apply to your life in a fresh new way today where you say as you hold it, and you will hold it in just a few moments, oh yeah, this is what He did for me. And you eat it. God is loving. We know what love is, don't we? You know, a lot of people confused about what love is, but deep in our hearts, we know that love is coming out of ourselves toward another person, right? We know that love is giving. We know that love is sacrifice. Well, let me tell you, there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't know, man. I don't know, maybe God's like this, maybe God's like that. Who's to say who God is, what God is? And you know that whole, fan, I mean, I don't know if I can believe this fantastic story about God becoming a man and dying on the cross and why does that matter? I'm going to tell you why it matters. Because we know what love is. And why wouldn't we experience the love of God through sacrifice. Do you get it? There is no way to experience love without sacrifice. God sitting up there going, I hope you do enough to get to me. That is not any God that I want any part with. No. 
we know this is God. We couldn't make it to Him. He's holy. He came down here. This is sacrifice. You, know, you want to know the, the, the quickest, easiest definition of love? Here it is. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And you and I bring nothing to this table but our sin. Nothing to this table but our belief in the work of another person on our behalf. I believe, therefore I eat. There's the formula for communion. This is about Jesus and His sacrifice. That's why we hold it. I believe, therefore I eat. And to hold the bread and and the cup is to say, I am lost without Christ. But in Him I am found. In Him I am more than found. But the text doesn't just say we remember. The text says that we proclaim His death. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Death, And I think that we certainly could start by saying we hold it, we touch it, we taste it, we eat it, and we proclaim to ourselves, we believe, therefore we eat. But you know what's so great about Presbyterian theology is that we really do believe we are God's covenant people. And when you hold that bread and that cup and we are all eating together, I will be, I won't be staring at you, I promise, but I will just have this awareness of the people around us saying, I believe too. We believe. We, we, we belong to God. And we say to the world, we believe. You don't even have to say it with words this morning. Just hold the bread and eat it. Hold the cup and drink it. And say with us, we believe. But finally, it's not just about the past, the remembering what Christ has done, and it's not just about the present, which is so important. And a lot of people leave this out, that Christ is here. Christ wants to minister to you. He's the risen Christ. This is communion and not just remembrance. But our text says it's about the future as well. It's also looking forward to the coming again of Jesus. When we will have this incredible table in front of us. It's called the celebration of the the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's when all of God's people will be brought together and Jesus will be our bridegroom. And let me tell you, you've never been to a party like this. And the joy of it and the the tasting and and the, the drinking and the wine is going to be incredible at that one as well. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so in the communion, in just a moment, we're going to say, this is about Jesus. I can't believe He did this for me. I'm holding it. He came as one like me and did it for me. Jesus, thank You that You are here. And I want to pour my heart out to You. But thank You also that I can be assured about the future. You know, there's a lot of contingency feelings about the future in this room right now. He's got it. He is the risen Christ. He is reigning. He is Lord. 
And, and what happens is we are filled when we eat communion with glorious assurance and, and this hope that we have. And, 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 and when we eat, what happens is our little world gets turned right side up. And our view of the world at large gets turned right side up and under His Lordship and His reign. And we can, through the supper, lift our heads and just breathe again and say, yes. And we can get up tomorrow morning, folks. And we can walk right out into that fallen world and say, I know He's with me. I I know that He's got the future. I'm going to be with Him. Don't you want that? Don't stay in the foyer. Don't you want to hold it? Remember? Be strengthened? Don't you want to know that the future belongs to Him? Let me close with John 6, 35. And Jesus said to His disciples, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger. And he who believes in Me will never thirst. There is a kind of hunger that Christ only meets. And that's a proper hunger. And let me tell you, your hunger will be met today. There's a kind of thirsting that Christ meets with His presence. And He always meets. And when you have Christ, you will never have that hunger unmet when you come to Him and and that thirst unmet. And so let's come all the way back together to the dining room, and let's feast together with the risen Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You love Your church so much that You died for her. Thank You that You're walking amidst the candlesticks of Your churches this morning. Thank You that You're here. And we pray that You would draw out of us not only praise and gratitude, but also our fears. Also, the things that are so difficult in our lives and that you would bring your touch, your truth, healing, and deep encouragement and assurance and hope through this supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.